I want to talk this evening that I think a lot of us have had. In fact, um, let me see a show of hands, please, indulge me. How many people, I know, you have two hands. How many people, Wayne, <laughs> love you, brother. How many people here have ever been to a parade? Okay, everybody, good, good. That is, you know, 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and it's a celebration. It's a march. Well, there's a scripture that reminds me, if you will, of a parade, a march. You would turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, in the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, uh, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, actually. 2nd Corinthians, if you're in Galatians, you've gone too far, go back. And in 2nd Corinthians in chapter 2, in verse 14, we, re we read where Paul writes, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. God leads us in a triumphal procession. Now that's not a, a phrase that you usually hear on a daily basis, a triumphal procession. It's a victory march. It's a victory march. And here Paul is saying that God leads us in a victory march, a parade, if you will, in Christ. Now, Paul's using this imagery here. He's painting a picture with words. He's taking a common event in Roman times under the Roman Empire where the, the victorious general would win a battle and he would lead a parade through the streets. He would march with his troops behind him and the POWs, the captives, behind them. And the people would watch the parade, the march, and they would cheer, and they, they would burn um, spices to make a sweet smell with this parade. So here we see an earthly example, and Paul is making this heavenly image out of this occurrence here. We are led in a triumphal procession. So, you know, when you think of a parade, when I think of a parade, I think of, okay, where is a good seat? Where is a good spot where I can, I can see the whole parade? You know, maybe I want to see them all come out when they start. or may, I wanna, Maybe I don't want to be in the sun because it's a hot day and now I'm under a tree and this, this is shady. There's all kinds of things. But when you, most people think of a parade, they're worried about their view, okay, of the parade. I, I have a new appreciation for uh, parades because my son Mark was in the high school marching band. And um, it's a neat experience, by the way, good experience. So we would um, walk beside him as he walked his route. And then you, you no longer have the, the viewpoint of, you know, oh, where's the best spot where I can see the action? We're walking along with him. And you can appreciate the things that the band members do, you know, the, the traffic control and the uniforms and everybody doing their part. Other things were the start point and the finishing point, the end point. And what that means is that the parade is actually a trip. It's a journey, a march. So let's turn in our Bibles and read about this march, what is involved in this march, this victory parade. And let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke. In chapter 14, 
And we're going to start in verse 25 of Luke. And here Luke writes, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, and I want to stop there. Jesus had to turn to talk to them because he was in the lead. He was leading a large crowd. Well, doesn't that sound a lot like a parade, a victory march, where the leader is leading a large crowd? And he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So, hmm. So here we have what this march is, is, is all about. So if someone becomes a Christian, they hear the gospel message, they become a Christian, they go home to their family that Sunday afternoon, they say, thank God today is the day, family, that I've become a Christian. I hate you all. And it's like, well, wait a minute, something's wrong here. This is a triumphal procession. This is a victory march. This is good. This is positive. This doesn't sound so positive. So we need some explaining here to understand this passage properly. Here Jesus is using a hyperbole. He is using an exaggeration, a figure of speech, to emphasize a point. He's not saying to literally hate your family, to hate yourself. He is saying that, because there's many other passages that say that we are to love our family and we are to take care of them. What he's saying is, is in comparison to our love for God, that we are to love God first and foremost. And he's using this hyperbole to emphasize that point. We're even to love God to the point of if it costs our life. In this day and age, sadly, we see many people who were killed around the world because of their Christians. Even in this country, sadly, they have been killed because they stood up for Jesus. Heaven forbid that I should find myself in that situation. But I hope and pray that if I did, that I would be so brave as to hate my own life, to love God first, and be willing to stand up for Jesus in that circumstance. So it doesn't mean to hate yourself, to hate your life, literally, but rather that, you, that God is of the highest priority. God is the highest priority, and we lay down even our lives for him. The second verse, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, what is a cross? Well, it's a religious symbol, okay? But more specifically, it's much more than that. See, the cross is an instrument of execution. It's a means to carry out the death penalty. So, in the old days, it would be a hangman's noose or an electric chair. Today, it would be a lethal injection, a hypodermic needle. So Jesus here is saying, carry out, carry with you the means of your execution with you. And again, that doesn't sound so positive. Carry your cross. And from this phrase, we, from this scripture, we get the phrase, each one of us has to carry his cross. 
What does it mean to carry your cross? Because the cross was not only a means of execution, but those other methods were relatively quick. A cross is not quick. The cross was a painful, slow death. It was torture to death. It was painful and torturous and slow by design. So why would we want to carry that on us? Why would we, why would we want to carry that? Well, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to see what the idea behind carrying the cross really means. And in the, the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 26, In chapter 26, we're going to read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to see what the, the idea of carrying a cross is all about. And this is in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus is to be arrested and hung on the cross, nailed to the cross. And in verse 36 of Matthew 26, we read, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. That is, the three disciples who were nicknamed the inner three, the three disciples who were closest to Jesus. Along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever said a phrase like that to somebody? Think of how distressed, how sad, how anguished the Lord is. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed on, on bended knee? I know we don't do that in this congregation as far as the building. You know, it's a little awkward for us all to get on our knees. But have you ever just got on your knees in humility to pray to God? He is on his face and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, and here's the point, not as I will, but as you will. And this is concerning the cup is the cross to come being nailed and executed on the cross. Not as I will, but as you will. And because of this saying, skeptics and critics will look at Christians and say, see, you're miserable people. Not only do you believe in fairy tales, but you never get to do what you want. It's not as, I, as you will, it's as God wills. But you know, that's not true, because we're not miserable people. We have the joy of God. What does this mean when he says, not as I will, but as you will? Well, you know, it's something that we all do all the time. It's something that we do constantly without even thinking about it. Let me give you a very silly uh, and, and trite example of this. How many people here have ever been late for something? You know, it's like parades. Everybody's been late for something. You know, a doctor's appointment, the job interview, church, whatever. Everybody's been late. And how many people, what happens when you're late? What is guaranteed to happen when you're late? You catch the red light, 
that is the longest red light in route, okay? And you catch it the moment it turns red so that you wait there the maximum time. I, I say that all the time, okay? When you're sitting there, have you ever thought to yourself seriously, hooray, I caught the red light, and now I get to sit here and wait longer and be even more late? Now, nobody does that. You get more and more anxious, okay? Well, let me ask you a question. Why don't you run the red light? I'm not advocating that, so I've got to put that out there. Why don't, you, why don't you run the red light? Well, of course you don't run the red light. You want to not stop. You want to go through the red light. You, want, you wish that light was green. But you don't because that red light wants you to stop. The law wants you to stop. And so you're not willing to run the red light. You see, you're doing the same thing in principle that Jesus is doing here. Not what I want, but what this red light wants. In other words, to put it more basic, more simple and generic, you put what you want second for a greater good. That's why you don't run the red light. You don't have the camera flashing. You don't have the cop arresting you. Worse, you don't hit a car. You don't plow into traffic. You, want, you put what you want second for the greater good. And that's what Jesus does here. He puts what he wants second for the greater good, for the good of many, for our good. And that's the whole idea of carrying our cross. And it's really the best of lives. It's the best life you can live. It's not a miserable life. It's, a, it's the best of life. So that's what our journey is about. That's what our trip and our victory march is about. There's one more thing. When someone says to me, follow me, I don't know about you, but the first question that comes to mind with me is where are we going? Because I've actually gotten on the bus to the wrong destination. And I started to panic when I saw unfamiliar surroundings. <laughs> where are we going? Okay, let's turn back to the Gospel of Luke. And this time we're gonna go to chapter nine, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to look at chapter 9. In verse 57. We're going to get an idea of where we're going. What's our point B? As in verse 57 of Luke 9, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that is to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, and that's, he's referring to himself when he says Son of Man. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, the Bible is not a joke book, but this is, it does have humor because this is actually a joke. This is an irony. Here, the maker of heaven and earth, who made the earth, and all the stars and galaxies and sun and sky says, I don't have a place. I don't have that comfortable one-bedroom rancher on Smith, Smith Street 
He doesn't even have an efficiency apartment. He's got nothing. Has no place to lay his head. Even the animals have a place to sleep. But Jesus does not. Except there's one thing missing here. He has no place to lay his head on earth. Because our point B is not this earth. He's got no place on earth. But let me assure you, Jesus has a place. He's got a place. He's got a spread, unlike any you and I have ever seen. Let's turn with me to, to the book of Hebrews, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and James. And we're going to get an idea of his place. In Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to read in verse 12 of Hebrews 13. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate, for indeed he did, to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for it was a disgrace to be crucified, to be nailed to the cross. For here, we do not have an enduring city. Here on earth, in this world, we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. That's Jesus' place. That's the place he has. The city that is to come. Now, let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. And let's read a little more in depth about this place. In Revelation chapter 21, the last book of the New Testament, one of my favorite verses, verse 1. Here John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, there's the city that is to come, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What place does Jesus have? This place. Why is our march a victory march, a triumphal procession? Because of the life we live, and more importantly, because of the end, because of our destination, our goal, because we're going to be in the place where we tell God, we say to God, you are our God, and he's going to look at us and say, you are my people. So remember, life has its ups and downs as we travel, as we march through it. Your heart's going to get broken. You're going to be sad. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. But in the end, the place where we will be, 
where we call God Almighty, our God, my God. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no more death or mourning or saying goodbye or crying or pain. And we'll be with him and we'll be with each other forever and ever and ever. And that's the place I want to march to. That is our victory march. Now, there's one last thing I want to bring up. We're almost done. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians, where we started. And I want to read you the next two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And this time we'll start in verse 15 and 16. Where Paul writes, For we are to God the aroma of Christ. He's saying we smell like Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. You know, different things have a different smell, a different aroma. You know, like fresh baked bread has a, a particular aroma. And if you're like me, you love it. You walk into a grocery store or bakery and you smell it and it just comes out of the oven. Okay? We are the aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, to the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Let me tell you, when he says the smell of death, um, unless you have experienced the smell of death, you cannot fully appreciate how wretchedly awful it is, how very bad it is. And let me tell you, um, I've been with the, the state and county roads combined over 30 years. And one of my glorious jobs uh, when I was first starting out with the state, we had to remove roadkill. Okay? And that was one of those jobs where you got your shovel and you went, and then you threw it off to the side because it was very unpleasant. It was a wretched smell. To some folks in the world, we are that smell of death. We repel people. To some, we are the fragrance of life. You know, my better half, Gail, is, is, is wonderful, and she's wonderful in many ways. And one of them is as a cook. And one of the things she likes to cook is uh, homemade tacos. And she takes the lean ground beef, and she puts it in a pot with water and boils it, and chops up an onion, and puts it in there. And it'd be like a couple pounds, and it just starts to, to cook and heat up and turn brown. And the, the steam and the smell fills the kitchen, and it fills the whole house after a while. And I can tell you, it, it draws me, okay? It draws me to the kitchen. It's not done yet. Go away, okay? It's not done yet. It's a wonderful, wonderful aroma to those who are being saved. The knowledge of Christ that we are spreading is a wonderful aroma that draws people. Because we're a very peculiar marching band. When you see a marching band, a parade, you don't go and hop on a float. You don't start marching with the band. But this marching band here says to everyone who's watching, come, come join us. Come be like us. Come go to the place that we're heading to so that we all arrive together. That's what we're saying.
we hope that we are the smell of life for you and that we attract you and draw you near that you might know Jesus. Our last scripture tonight, Acts chapter 2. If you are drawn to Jesus, this is for you. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. We see here that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were in anguish. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That is, repent, change your mind. No longer to live your will, what you want, but to follow God's will, what he wants. And be baptized, be dipped in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to be washed clean and made whole. If the knowledge of Christ is the fragrance of life for you, we invite you to come forward now and become a Christian as we stand and sing.